Good morning. As Zoe said, we're glad that you ventured out on this beautiful day to, to join us for, for worship. It's good to be uh, together this morning. And, and as you heard at the beginning, we do have a lot of stuff going on. So we hope you'll pick up a bulletin prayer request sheet in the back. We've also got uh, Easter is, is coming up in just a couple of weeks. And so on the coffee bar area over there, there are some postcards um, that if you want to invite someone to, to our Easter service, uh, this is an, an easy way for you to do that. Uh, Studies show people are most likely to accept an invitation to church on Easter than, than any other time of the year. Uh, and that the majority of people who are not connected to a church will uh, respond positively to a, an invitation to Easter uh, study show. So if you're looking for an excuse uh, or a way to begin a conversation, that's an easy way to do it. And invite them to join us uh, anytime, but that's kind of a, a natural time to do it. So those postcards are on the, the coffee bar over there. And there'll be food. Yes, and eggs, candy and eggs. So all kinds of reasons to show up <laughs> if, you need, if you need other reasons besides regular stuff. Say, hey, you know, there's breakfast, candy, all kinds of good stuff. So, uh, so that's coming up in a couple of weeks. And we do have uh, classes, small groups. Uh, our small group is meeting as well today right after church at, at our house. So you've got options for classes, small groups, all different ways uh, to be involved. Uh, there are... About 3,300 questions in the Bible. I counted this week. It's approximate. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but it is approximate depending on how whatever translation you're using, how they interpret uh, or translate cer- certain phrases. Versions vary somewhat. Uh, I think the King James has 3,294 if you want to be exact. Uh, so there's roughly 3,300 questions in Scripture. And so this morning, uh, we're going to focus our, our time around one of my favorite questions in Scripture. Uh, now, admittedly, I don't have a well-researched ranking of my favorite questions. <laughs> I don't have a power ranking of Warren's favorite questions in the Bible. Uh, but if I did, I'm, I'm convinced this one would, would be at the top. As far as ones that I've come across or dug into, this is at the top of the list. And so normally I don't like kind of pressing pause in a series, especially we've been going through the greatest command on Sundays. And uh, so I don't like to, to do that a lot. But I wanted to do that today in order to kind of bring some conversations we, we have been having and, and are going to continue having on Wednesday nights into our Sunday morning experience. Uh, and then also it ended up working out that in our class uh, last Sunday morning, uh, we kind of got to talking about some stuff that, that led perfectly into our lesson for this morning. So there will be a connection for those of you who were in our class last Sunday. For others, it may seem a little random, uh, but it, it, it falls in line with what we're going to be discussing on Wednesday nights. And so we're going to be in Genesis 16 today. So if you want to turn there, uh, that's what will be. None of it will be on the screen because we're going to kind of work through uh, some of this chapter. Um, and so the story of Genesis 16 picks up in the middle of kind of Abraham, Abraham and Sarah's journey. At this point in the story, they're still known as Abram and Sarai. And so we're going to pick up right at the beginning here of Genesis 16. We're going to start for now just with the first verse. Genesis 16:1 says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. 
but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Now, I could preach a whole sermon just on this verse. I won't. You won't have three sermons today, but... (laughs) But, but there's so much that, we, that is, is packed just into this first verse. First of all, we're, we're sort of left to wonder, how does a couple from Ur end up with an Egyptian slave? Um, it doesn't really geographically make sense. So I've got a map here. Uh, this is what the, this area looked like. You can see this red line. George, I left my pointer in my car. I just realized as I came up here. Normally I have a pointer that I can point to stuff, but you'll just have to, to look at this this morning. You'll see Ur over here on this side, and there's a red line that kind of traces uh, Abram's journey. Promised land over here. And at one point, he and his wife, Abram and his wife and all the rest of the people with him, they have to escape over here to Egypt. Uh, if you can go to this next uh, slide, Jamie, this is what it looks like in present day. Uh, so you'll see they start over here in kind of the southern part of, of what is now Iraq, travel up kind of around uh, the, where there's kind of sources of, of water and vegeta- vegetation so they don't go right across the desert. Uh, so if you go back to the other one, Jamie, you can see that's why the line goes up. Uh, so they're traveling next to water, vegetation, so they don't cross the desert. Uh, and now go back to the other one, Jamie. And so you can see here uh, what is Egypt and what is now present-day Israel. And so at one point in their trip, uh, there's a famine that hits where they are. And so they've got to, or, or Abram makes the decision seemingly on his own, which is important, uh, to flee and go to Egypt. And when he does, he tells Sarai, he says, listen, um, Basically, I don't want anybody to kill me while we're in Egypt, <laughs> and you're really beautiful. And so if people know that you're my wife, they may kill me in order to take you. Uh, which you can look at cynically and, and, and think, man, Abram didn't have, uh, he, he thought these Egyptians were pretty terrible, ruthless people. You can also look at it as he is a loving, doting husband who thinks his wife is so beautiful <laughs> that they will literally kill him in order to get to her. Um, but basically, he's just pretty selfish. So, uh, so he tells Sarai this. They go in. She does what he says. Uh, and sure enough, Pharaoh sees Sarai. She's so beautiful that he ends up sending to Abram, who he thinks is her brother, uh, a lot of animals, livestock, and servants, men and women slaves, who now become part of, of Abram's entourage. We don't know if that's where Hagar enters the picture, but it's a likely scenario that this is where Hagar kind of gets connected to Abram and Sarai. Uh, God ends up revealing to, to Pharaoh, hey, you, you shouldn't be with this woman. She's actually married to that guy. Um, and so Pharaoh says, why did you do this to me? We actually learn later that it's actually not completely a lie. Uh, Sarai and Abram have the same dad, but not the same mom which either makes the situation better or worse, depending on how you look at it. (laughs) Because he wasn't fully lying, but interesting family dynamics at work here. Uh, So they leave with, with a whole bunch of stuff from Egypt, and they go back. Which that story alone shows us there are far-reaching implications for short-sighted decisions. Uh, When you make short-sighted decisions based on fear, Abram on his own is afraid because they're in famine. He's afraid because he's afraid people in Egypt will kill him. And so he makes short-sighted decisions that have far-reaching implications now. Uh, And just as Sarai followed Abram's lead in going into Egypt and telling people that she was his sister, Abram now follows Harai's lead because we get to this point in the story 
And Abram and Sarai have been promised that that their descendants would be more numerous than the stars in the sky. The entire world, God has told Abram, will be blessed through you. And now they're getting old and they don't have any kids yet. And so Sarai begins to think, maybe there's another way that God is planning to do this. Uh, So we have this statement that says, uh, Sarai had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Uh, I wonder how many times in our lives you could say a similar sentence. Uh, Maybe not exactly about an Egyptian slave. Um, But how many times you could say, Jesus has promised us that we don't need to worry. But I have this. Uh, Jesus has promised that he will be with us always. But this is going on in my life now. How many times could we make a but statement like Sarai does here? Because I can imagine uh, Sarai uh, convincing herself, surely God had another way for this to happen. Uh, At this time, this was not uncommon if if a a husband and wife could not conceive amongst themselves for the husband to go and try to to continue the family line through a servant uh, or a slave. Uh, It sounds weird to us, but it was fairly common in this day and time because you had to do something to continue the family line and to increase the population in in your nation and all of those things. So this was not that unheard of. And so while this does certainly represent a massive mistake on the part of Sarai and Abram, uh, I think a little grace is in order for them because I think most of us may have tried to find a similar solution years earlier. Uh, Because by the time the promise is finally fulfilled through Isaac and Abram, uh, through Isaac and Abraham and Sarah at that point, Abraham is 100 years old. That's a long time to wait for a kid. Um, And so they try to find another suggestion or another way. And that leads us then into the rest of the chapter. Beginning with then verse 2. So she, Sarai, said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Hear how she assumes this must be God doing it. I know he told us these things, but he's kept me from having children. So there must be another way that's inserted. Go sleep with my slave and perhaps I can build a family line through her, build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. In other words, you started this. Don't don't try to put this on me. This is on you. Uh, Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a stream in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And so Sarai gives Abram the same imperative that God gives Abram back at the beginning of their journey in Genesis 12. Uh, Abraham's story starts with God saying, go. 
And now Sarai comes to Abraham and comes to Abram and says the same thing. Go. And so, just as he did at the beginning of the story, he goes. Uh, And then in what can't be surprising to anyone, the situation goes badly very quickly after Hagar gets pregnant. Uh, Hagar begins to think, I'm superior to Sarai because I can have Abram's kids and she can't. So I must be the favored one. I must be the God, the one God is, is going to build all this through. Uh, Sarai blames Abram. Abram tells Sarai, no, 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 no. This is on you. She's your servant. You suggested this. <laughs> Don't bring this on me. All of which leads Hagar to, to be mistreated by Sarai. She runs away. Again, none of this can be shocking. And we are then told that an angel finds Hagar and asks her, this favorite question of mine that I referenced earlier. Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And so I want you to hang with me for a minute because on the surface, I think this this question doesn't sound like much. It's a pretty ordinary question. But I want you to just for a minute try to put yourself in Hagar's shoes and imagine the chaos and uncertainty, and confusion, and pain, and and any other, in a wide range of emotions that she is experiencing at this time. Uh, There's little that we know about Hagar and her background, but again, we do know that she is Egyptian. So this is not her her native land. She's probably been separated from her people, from her family, perhaps. Uh, She's in a strange place with strange people, who are worshiping probably a strange God to her. Imagine the fear and the anxiety and the hopelessness of this woman sitting alone in a desert, pregnant, alone, and out of options. And in this situation, the story tells us that that an angel of God finds her, seeks her out in the desert, and asks her on God's behalf, where have you come from? And where are you going? And I think to to even more fully appreciate the the depths of this question and what it means to Hagar, uh, you can continue in the chapter and look at Hagar's response and how she responds and interprets this question. Uh, So the, the angel ends up telling her to go back to Sarai, which she does. He tells her that her descendants will also be too numerous to count. And then this is how Hagar responds. She says, you are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. In fact, it even says in the text that that she gave God this name, which seems like a pretty cool claim to make, that you gave God a name. She gives God this name, again, a God that she probably does not know, at least very well, and she names him based on this idea that God has seen her. Uh, Imagine the plight of a girl who probably feels completely unseen and unnoticed. And now God has found her broken down alone in the desert and asked her, where have you come from and where are you going? She doesn't complain about having to go back. She doesn't raise questions. Even when God tells her about the contentious and hostile nature that her son will eventually embody, She simply shows appreciation for the fact that God has seen her and she gives God a name because he sees her. 
And so I'm going to guess that most of us, at some point in our lives, have felt unseen. Uh, Sometimes that may mean that we feel invisible to the world. Or sometimes it may mean that the one person that we really want or, or need to see us can't or won't. This feeling of being unseen is the feeling we get when our efforts or accomplishments go unnoticed. It's the feeling we get when someone talks to us or treats us in a way that makes us feel insignificant or inferior or as if we have nothing to offer. It's the feeling a young girl lives with after being abused by someone she trusted. And it's the feeling a young boy buries when he's bullied because he doesn't fit into a prescribed category of masculinity. It's the feeling of an Egyptian slave living in a foreign land with a foreign people who has been forced into the most awkward and vulnerable of situations solely because of what her body can offer to someone else. And to that woman, God sends an angel to ask her, where have you come from and where are you going? And as we saw in Hagar's reaction, the beauty of the question is not only in what it states directly, but also in what it communicates to Hagar. Because what Hagar seems to hear in this question is a recognition of God saying, I see you as you are, where you are, and for who you are. And I care enough to know how you got here. I care enough to ask about your past, your experiences, and what led you to this point. And I care enough to ask you where you are planning to go from here. Where have you come from and where are you going? God, the creator of the universe, who knew exactly where she had come from, wanted to hear her story. And that seems to have a great impact on Hagar. And so, I believe that there are people here today who who maybe, quite simply, you need to hear that God sees you. Uh, Perhaps you feel unnoticed or maybe even unloved. And I hope that you hear in this story and in these words that God sees you, God cares for you, and God loves you. Our God is the God who sees his people and finds them broken down, hopeless, and alone in whatever desert they might find themselves. Uh, On the other hand, I think there are also some of us here today who need to be encouraged to follow God's lead and to see people who may otherwise be unseen. To hear the stories of people who have fled or who are about to flee. And to be willing to find people who need someone to notice them and ask, where have you come from and where are you going? There are people around us who have been neglected, taken advantage of, discounted, or simply ignored. There are stories that need to be told. And as a community of people, I think there's incredible value in inviting those stories to be told and listening to those stories with with open minds and hearts and ears. Uh, Because not only is there information for us to learn in their stories, but it helps us to communicate value to the lives behind those stories. And it helps us to learn how to see and to love people who have different experiences and backgrounds and thoughts and ideologies and whatever else it may be in more meaningful and impactful ways. And so in the coming weeks, this is the connection to Wednesday nights. uh, What we're going to do over the course of, of the next several Wednesday nights is to highlight some stories like this that may exist in our community. Uh, We're going to spend some time asking people questions like, where have you come from and where are you going? 
And some of these topics will be centered around topics that maybe we sometimes avoid in community or we find difficult to really discuss in, in open, um, open dialogue, open relationship, open circles. Uh, and so that's going to start this Wednesday when we're going to have a conversation. We're going to start meeting. We'll have our meal still on, in, in the fellowship hall. And then we're going to come over here uh, for our class time. Uh, so the conversation this Wednesday is going to center around uh, people who have gone through and experienced miscarriages and, and who have experienced suicide within their family. Those are tough, difficult topics. Uh, they're, they're big topics to try to bite off and, um, and chew on and discuss in community. Um, and I'm appreciative of, of, of the, the young ladies who are going to share with us uh, from their hearts and their experiences Wednesday night. Because I think there's value in discussing things that we struggle to discuss. Uh, there's value in recognizing these are hard conversations to have in community, uh, but they help us learn about each other. They help us minister each other, to each other. They help us encourage each other. They help us see each other. They help us recognize, I I recognize what you've been through. I want to know about what you've been through. And I want to know how we can support other people who are going through those things now or in the future. Uh, So we're going to discuss things like that. We're going to talk about things like uh, abuse and what people go through who have been abused. Uh, People who have struggled with mental illness or addiction. Uh, People who have gone through divorce. What are the experiences like of those people? Uh, We are admittedly going to kind of stagger those nights with, as I've been kind of thinking about it, some lighter topics, uh, because I know that sounds really heavy, perhaps. Uh, So some nights are going to be about more uh, overtly uplifting things like the way that travel shifts our perspective or the ways that that new experiences that we would think are are positive in nature shape our perspective, Uh, because there are all kinds of things that shape our perspective and shape our stories in life. Um, but we want to try to bite off some of these really difficult topics and chew on them and, and, and talk about them in community. Because I think there's value in asking each other, where did you come from and where are you going? And how are we together as community journeying, making this journey together? Uh, I also want to say that, that uh, the, the stories that we will share on Wednesday nights, the stories that we will hear from, are certainly not the only ones uh, who we could hear from on these topics. Uh, so, for instance, on Wednesday, uh, Kelsey Wilbanks and Casey Allen, the ones who are going to share about their experiences with, with miscarriage, and, and Bridget Jarrett is going to share about her experience with her brother committing suicide. We could go around the room and talk to any number of people about loss that you have experienced in life. Uh, it does, this, this is not to discount any of the other stories that exist within our communities, uh, but, but simply to, to have some conversations maybe around topics that we typically don't get to, to hear about. And so there are other stories, though, that need to be seen, that need to be heard, that need to be told. And that is where it is, I think, upon each of us in in relationship to be willing to get to know the stories of those around us, those in our community, those uh, in in our culture, in our society, in our country, even in our world. We've got many ways that we can hear about others' stories. So for some, it may be that someone in your own home needs you to find them in their desert. Maybe a spouse whose efforts go unnoted or unappreciated, or a child whose voice and request for time get pushed away for the sake of other tasks or responsibilities. Uh, Maybe it's someone you see throughout your normal routine or or day or, or work schedule or trip to Walmart or the gas station or whatever it may be. Maybe it's someone you see but don't really see as you go through your day. On a national level, maybe it's the person wanting to share their story in an attempt to point out the racial injustices that still exist in our culture. 
or the person whose lifestyle looks different than yours, but whose story maybe you have never really fully heard. Or maybe it's the weakest and poorest among us whose individual plight and struggle for survival gets drowned out by political debate and policy discussion and so many other things. There are Hagars in our homes, in our communities, in our country, and in our world who need to know that someone can see them. They are those who are pushed to the margins. They are those who would go so far as to flee to the desert while pregnant because they're simply out of places to turn. More broadly stated, they are those who would go so far as to flee to any number of irrational destinations or substances or vices while bearing a burden they didn't ask for and desiring that someone, anyone, would find them and ask, where have you come from and where are you going? Sometimes meeting people where they are means finding them in a desert and simply being willing to sit down and ask questions. So this morning, uh, perhaps you are here and you find yourself in Hagar's shoes. Uh, Perhaps you are feeling just as if you are at your wit's end and you don't have any place else to turn. Your situation is hopeless. You're lost in a desert. You feel lost. You're looking for for peace and you, you are desiring this peace that comes from knowing a God who sees you and loves you. Or maybe you simply want to have eyes that see people more clearly. And in either case, I invite all of us to consider our response to a God who sees and loves his people as we prepare to share in our communion meal this morning. And so I invite Chris and the band to come back up as we turn our our hearts and our minds towards communion this morning. And in communion, we are reminded that God's love is most clearly and overtly evident in Christ's death, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And just as he met Hagar at the stream near Shur, he meets us here this morning in the sharing of communion. He meets us in our hopelessness. He meets us in our triumph. He meets us wherever we are. He finds us and he joins us in this meal. And he brings us together in the name of Jesus, in whom our hope is found. And so as we consider this Jesus, would you stand and join us in song? And then after that, we'll share in communion together.
standing we pray our prayer of confession together as we prepare to take sharing communion we confess to each other and to you our creator that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we ourselves have committed to be hear us forgive us renew our resolve to build the kingdom of christ we often seek out the easiest path paths of least involvement where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. You may be seated. 